The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. One thing we often do at this time uh, here at the building, the city center in Minneapolis, we have uh, a book over by our compassion altar. We have a statue of Kuan Yin, which in the wider Buddhist tradition is sort of the archetype of compassion. It actually started out in uh, northern India and Tibet as Avalokiteshvara. This is in the earlier centuries after the time of the Buddha. And they had this archetype of um, love having many arms so that it can take care of the suffering, you know, the people who are suffering. And then as it sort of the idea, ideal of compassion moved, uh, Buddhism moved into China, they had this other sort of depiction. And Kuan Yin, you see in the corner, is sort of this more feminine um, embodiment of compassion. We have a book over there, so I'm just letting people know, including all of you on Zoom, you can always send us an email. We just write people who, it doesn't even have to be yourself or others who are suffering, but anybody going through a life transition that you want the community to keep you in mind, you can put that in the book. And then usually uh, this first Friday of the month, Chelsea, who's our program host, uh, will read from that book. just takes a couple minutes. Do we have any... Think from July or from June, rather. Oh, good. Do you have the handheld? Yes. You can come here though if you want, so they can hear you online. Yeah, because this is for the Zoom folks and this is for people. But if you have a loud voice, you may not need it for the people in the room. Compassion for my dad, who was dying from kidney and heart failure. Ease healing and joy for Richard and all those with severe trauma. Metta to Minneapolis and St. Paul as we recover from the trauma of 2020. Appreciation for the nice weather and decent air quality Sorry to any insects I might have harmed on my way here. Delighting in the vibrancy of summer, all the blooming flowers, baby ducks, singing frogs, may they be safe, happy, and healthy. Thank you, Chelsea. And thanks for the folks who added those words to the book. So keep it in mind, again, whether you are here in Minneapolis or you live far away, you can just send the center an email and Robin, our office manager, will put your thoughts, reflections in the book. Yeah, and so we have about a half an hour for conversation. Now I'll share a few thoughts. And then it would be nice to hear from people. I often say on these first Friday of the month that... uh, whether we want to or not, you know, want to admit it or not, we've learned a thing or two about what attitudes of mind are wholesome and helpful and what aren't. And basically, you know, the Buddha's teachings would, uh, you know, make the argument that the only emotions we need are these four qualities of heart, what we call the divine abodes or 
the Pali phrase is that Brahma Viharas, and those are the emotion or the attitude of loving kindness or that basic goodness. And then when that basic goodness runs into life's difficulty, we call it compassion. And when that basic goodness, that capacity to connect, runs into something that's someone who's happy or doing well, then it's expressed as appreciative joy, where their happiness is making, is a cause of my own happiness, right? We appreciate their happiness. We are sympathetically happy for all the good and happiness we bring to mind or we notice. And then even when the situation is really ambiguous and uncertain, we can have equanimity, which is a kind of love that even when we don't know what the heck's going on, equanimity is that quality of the heart that can connect with what's ambiguous or uncertain in a vibrant, tender, loving, appreciative way, even before we know like what's going on. Like, I'm not afraid of ambiguity. I don't have to close my heart to that. So that's equanimity. So those are the four qualities, that basic goodness, which in a way is like a friendly, the friendly heart. When it meets suffering, it's compassion. When it meets joy, it's appreciative joy. When it runs into anything else, ambiguous, it's equanimity. It's a radiant balance. So these may be I think it's just a nice reflection as we live our life. Maybe these are the only emotions we need because then it kind of begs the question like, how can I be close in this ordinary moment of my life or this difficult moment of my life or this pleasant, beautiful moment of my life? How can I be close? How can I be relating in a beautiful, skillful, enlivening way? And then just uh, to do a little deeper dive tonight about compassion, like bringing to mind all the places in our lives when we're alone by ourselves, when we're with others, when we're tender or sensitive to suffering, our own or other suffering, and all the relatively unhealthy, unhelpful ways we relate in those moments. And then what is what are the healthy or skillful ways we relate to difficulty around or others? Because, you know, our society, and it's probably not unique to, you know, our society here in the West, in the United States, but we have these habits of denying suffering, like, oh, you don't talk about suffering. And it's almost like... Uh, we're embarrassed, like when we're in a lot of pain, emotional, mental, physical pain. It's like, it's not okay to be real about it. Isn't it? And it's like, I'm reading a book now, boy, isn't that funny, I'm forgetting the title, something like Beautiful People. A friend, one of our teachers here, gave it to me. I'm really enjoying it. But it's just, uh, one of the characters in the book, it's, you know, on the surface is this really strong, together woman. But, uh, but part of it is just a, a way of managing suffering by imagining that my competence and my being organized 
and being strategic with my emotions, you know, that, but some, something we have to run from or something that we have to hide from or something that we have to deny or wall off, that just empowers. It makes, that's what makes the monster of suffering is when we don't, we haven't found a way to have an honest relationship with it. Now, of course, it's not about like just open, opening the floodgates and letting it rush in, but we want to at least make the resolve, like I'm going to find my way, however long it takes, I'm going to find my way into a more honest and intimate relationship with life, my life, this life, including my suffering, including the suffering that I'm vulnerable to, I'm exposed to, that I'm sensitive to. So I don't have to go looking for it, because it's right here. Even the suffering of the world is right here. But we have all these ways of putting it in a compartment, or walling it off, or telling ourselves a story that seems to create a distance, or even freaking out about it is a way to sometimes build a barrier. Like we're, we're in our reaction to it in a way that keeps us from just a more relaxed exposure. Oh yeah, this is what it feels like to be lonely or to be angry or to be frightened or to be needy or whatever that we're feeling that's unpleasant, even uncertain. So it might be nice, like in, a, in our conversation tonight, to these testimonials, like, and, and, and it can be really simple, like transforming your relationship to spiders in your windows, <laughs> right? And just how we transformed what was a scary thing, you know, that to, like, I've learned how to have a tender relationship with things that scare me, and to embrace, to learn how to be sensitive to that vulnerability. Like, oh yeah, I can't really cut myself off from all the things that scare me. It's just too stressful to need a house that doesn't have any spiders, you know, or to live in a world where there aren't scary things. So how might I find my way, start moving in a direction where my heart, through what we call compassion, can include the world as it is? The uncertainty, the vulnerability, all the things that we that the heart is inclined to want to run from or hide from or wall off. And it's just interesting, like, you know, sharing about, you know, just those places where you notice one of those strategies of, like, having a fixed view. This is not my responsibility. Like, you have a sibling that's really struggling in life, or a neighbor, or an old friend, but you just caught yourself, like, creating some distance. That's their business. That's their karma. 
I've helped enough. They're making bad choices. But but what we, and it's not like any of that is not necessarily, I mean, it may be some truth to all of those statements, but what's really going on is the mind, the heart, imagines that your suffering is going to contaminate me, that somehow it's contagious, that I have to create some distance. And, and just to begin to like give examples how, of how, one, we realize how stressful it is to keep distant from all the things that scare us or that all the suffering around us and even our own suffering and pain. And how enlivening it can be to find our way back to just being like inclusive of all that. I mean, just like having a more honest relationship with death and loss, even before it happens, right? We don't realize how heavy it is to have a dishonest relationship with all of the, the truth of suffering. So it'd be nice, and, um, and Chelsea has the handheld mic, or if you're willing for the people here in the room, so people online can hear, you could sit here, and then I'll hand you the mic for the Zoom community. But I can repeat it, but generally, you know, your sharing is going to be long, and it's kind of nice for them to hear you. I won't put the camera on you, but you can be here, and then I can hand you the mic if you don't mind. And then those of you online, you can just unmute yourself if you want to share a little bit. And it's also okay to ask questions about the compassion practice we did this evening. If something was unclear or you just want to get a little bit more instruction about how you might do this during you know, your home practice, uh, this is a good time to ask those questions too. So who'd like to begin? Like I mentioned, we've all learned some things about love and compassion over the course of our lives. What is it that you've learned? And we can learn from each other. Yeah, please, do you mind can I? somebody who has dealt with codependency in life, and that's something that that's, you know, when you learn boundaries and learn about, you know, that's your side of the street, this is my side of the street. Um, and so I'm just curious how you kind of work with that and make sure you're holding someone's suffering in a way where you're being compassionate, but not holding it in a way that may be unhealthy for yourself by taking it on too much onto yourself. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I bet we can all, you know, we have probably at least one example, if not more. Even if you're not so-called codependent type, it's just such a common human strategy to... um, Because, like I mentioned earlier, there's so much in our society and in each of us of... uh, It's almost like a wormhole. We don't really want to have an honest relationship with suffering because there's some intuition that it's bottomless. You know, when we start to talk about suffering or acknowledge suffering, that there won't be an end. And 
that's partially true. It's half of the truth, right? Just there isn't really an end to vulnerability and uncertainty and pain. But it isn't the whole truth, but it's, it is part of the truth. And so we tend to veer, you know, being codependent, like uh, in the lie, like helping the other person uh, be in denial, or being sort of the person who fixes it and takes care of it always, and it helps that person sort of not acknowledge or not deal with what's going on, you know, that's exhausting. It doesn't go anywhere except to, it takes more and more energy to keep the lie going, right? And, uh, but also turning completely away and, and imagining my heart can't be in relationship with your suffering. That's also debilitating for the heart. Like, is that true? So remember, having some distance doesn't necessarily mean throwing you out of my heart. Dropping the codependent pattern may actually be in the direction of having a more honest and intimate relationship with you. Breaking that um, unhealthy because just because I'm not going to take responsibility for helping you doesn't mean I don't care about you, right? Because I might have a more, I might have a more, uh, a, a more supportive position to really connect that in that empathetic way with what it like with the truth. Oh, it isn't easy being a human being, bringing you to mind. It isn't easy being you and the choices you've made and the consequences of those choices. Precisely because I'm not enmeshed, I can actually sense and feel what that's like. And then the a more uh, honest wish, may you find your way. And if there's something I can do in a way that's healthy, I'll do it in a way that respects my well-being and cares about your well-being, I'll do it. But whether there's something I can do or whether there's nothing that I can do in this situation, I'm not going to throw you out of my heart. And that's because I have a more wise, balanced relationship with your suffering. Because a lot of the codependent relationships arise because we misunderstand suffering. As I was saying early um, when we started the, the program tonight, there's this very deep reflex that we get infected with in our culture, and probably all human culture, that pain and suffering is bad. But that's kind of interesting, like in a world where there's pain and suffering, and then they say that it's bad, it's pain and suffering. We're not denying that it's not pain and suffering, but it's it is the way that it is. It's neither evil nor good. It's what we say in Buddhism, it's nature, right? Vulnerability and uncertainty and gain and loss and pain and pleasure, these are neither good nor bad. It just comes with the territory. There's birth and there's death. So, 
we don't want to pathologize pain, spiritual pain, mental pain, physical pain, emotional pain. We want a functional, practical relationship with it. We want to be able to include it because it's just part of this human experience that we have. Oh, great. We have three folks online. We'll go to Joe first. Go ahead and unmute yourself, Joe. Hi there. Can you hear me? Now we can. Okay, great. Um, hi. Um, this is my first time uh, in this group, and um, to be honest, I was having, I was having a hard time. Uh, I've been going through a depression really since the beginning of, of COVID on and off, and I'm having a hard time connecting with compassion and care. Yeah, Joe, could you repeat? You said you're having a hard time, and then it was a little mumbled there. It wasn't clear, so I couldn't hear the words. Yeah, sure. Can you hear me a little bit better now? Yeah, that's much better. Okay, great. Um, I was just speaking to my experience um, of having a hard time connecting with um, care and compassion just in general recently. Uh, just going through uh, some depressive stages and having a hard time connecting uh, with compassion and care. And wonder, wondering if you have any uh, thoughts or tips or ideas for yeah, thanks, Joe. Well, of course, and you probably understand this, but of course we want to start with ourselves because that heavy state of mind hurts. And just that, it, it seems so simple, but just that acknowledgement that my mind, my heart hurts, that it's heavy is because there's something like that honest relationship with our pain. It's a gift, like the heart experiences it as a gift. Oh, you're not blaming, you're not telling me, I'm not telling myself I should have my act together by now, or we're, we're having, it's really coming from that balanced place. Oh, oh honey, you're hurting. Even before we have that, that sense, that tender sense, and I care about this hurt, just naming it. Just like when a, a friend, you know, meets us and says, you know, they ask the question, but they ask the question because they're sensing something. How are you doing? As it, and they're not that, sometimes, you know, it can be, sort of let me fix you, but it's like they're not afraid of us being where we're at. And we can do that for ourselves. Because after a moment of meeting ourselves, having an honest sense, oh yeah, this is hard, then we're in a much more balanced place to wonder, 
what can I do? What can I do for myself? What has helped in the past? What's to be avoided? So just the the practicality of understanding, to whatever degree our mind is capable of understanding, like what might be supports, what might be further causes for more of the heaviness. And there may, may, may not be anything we can do. Like we may not have any options that we can bring to mind in that moment, but we can be honest and we can realize that sense, and I care about this. And, and the important thing is to recognize uh, just that uh, capacity that our mind can read cause and effect. So even if we don't, like our past experience, has it provided any clarity? So we're just like raw trial and error. Well, let's try something. Let's take a walk. Let's make soup. Let's call this friend. Let's, you know, take a bath. Let's, and, and let's see if this helps. Let's relate in this way. Just like we want not only to care, like, oh, my heart's hurting. We want to notice what that sets in motion. It's important to notice whether that honest acknowledgement of the pain we're feeling, if that's helpful. And remember these near enemies, so that's not the same as pitying ourselves or feeling doomed. It's, that's what I mean. We have to sense, if we can or try, to sense it's empowering to know that I'm hurting. To like be in that position, oh, my heart really hurts. And I can be honest about it right now. I don't like it, but I know that it hurts. Because, you know, in the end, compassion isn't something that you or I do. Compassion is something that arises naturally when the supports are there. And of course, what is the proximate cause for compassion to arise? It's the honest relationship with suffering, our own or somebody else's. When we're really meeting it, that means there's we're not afraid of it, like we can't meet it and be afraid of it. So when we realize the heart, the wisdom that can meet, our suffering, there's already some power there, some healing power. The mind isn't completely identified in a reactive pattern with the pain. Yeah, I hope that's helpful, Joe. Gwen, do you want to go next? Oh, you're welcome, Joe. Thanks, Uh, Mark. I I have... I've had this interesting one-year experience of learning about both pain management and compassion. And I will tell you right now, um, Mark knows that I have, I'm in a situation where I have to vacate an apartment in the, in, in the frontier, great western frontier of Shakopee after moving here a year ago. And what's been interesting is I moved from 
near the Dayton, Ohio uh, Buddhist Sangha uh, about 18 months ago. It's my dream to live in Minnesota. And I knew I had some chronic pain um, and kept being distracted by it. And that's so important to compassion, uh, to the notion of compassion, because I have found that, and forgive a bird in the background, when I am trying to do something about pain, it becomes a barrier. That take, Focusing on what action I have to take to fix pain becomes a barrier to compassion. It just totally gets in the way. I, and it's so disrespectful of whatever is going on. And I ended up moving to this apartment in, in Shakopee last August. It took till October, about three months, for me to realize my pain was not going to go away. I saw doctors got it diagnosed by Christmas, and in January, I showed up online and took NBSR from Common Ground. And the first thing I learned to do was be present and stop trying to act. Because having that reactive, okay, how do I fix this, pretty much guarantees it's not going to diminish. It pretty well shuts that down. Being present makes room, it just, and I'm born on Valentine's Day. Being present has enlarged my heart and given me more compassion. And literally, the arthritis in my hands and in my neck hurts less. I have been fortunate that even being low income, I have gone to an acupuncturist who has taught me and can show me and get me to listen to where I'm blocking the chi and blocking that compassion, what I know is compassion now in my body. And even this week, when I found out that I'm eligible for a brand spanking new apartment um, in Rose, in Roseville, where I won't have allergens and all kinds of stuff, I found myself literally having to lay down and go, okay, you're trying to run around and fix stuff. You're trying to determine these outcomes. Everything's going to go bad if you don't sit down and just be present. And I swear to God, I have learned not to micromanage. Being present is the difference between what codependents know as enmeshment and for me, respect and compassion. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Kwan Lin because now I want her to be my best bud in my new apartment. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me share. But no, you can't be you can't be acting, man. It's just so disrespectful and it's it, it's a barrier to anything good happening. It really is. Thanks so much, Gwen. And uh, one of the things that uh, Gwen did say exactly, but I kind of felt is like being present, but sometimes to be present, we have to turn away from the suffering. And that's what I meant about like having a moment of honestly acknowledging that my heart hurts might then lead to some clarity, some wisdom. You know, take your mind off of this, go make some soup, go take a walk, because a lot of the more uh, resonant compassion can arise when we feel like there's some distance. When we're in that place that Gwen was talking about where we're just reflexively trying to fix it, we're basically acting out of this place, this point of view that this suffering is going to kill me if I don't kill it first, if I don't fix it first. 
So to, it's a powerful thing to say, yeah, this, this place in my life is scary, and I'm going to take a walk, or I'm going to make soup, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, and absorb into something else, and practice putting down, or turning away from the suffering. Not forever. You'll turn back to it. But it's like a gift. Just like when we go to sleep at night, we put everything down. Otherwise, we don't go to sleep. Chloe, do you want to unmute yourself? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I guess my question was just that I find most difficult uh, feelings to relate to skillfully being regret uh, and blame. And I'm wondering what, uh, how, maybe, yeah, how to relate to those emotions skillfully. Regret is, is a difficult one. And, and yeah, and self-blame, I would say, too. Yeah, and they might regret in that self-blame. I don't know if the situation you're bringing to mind, if they're related, because they can arise together. And, uh, you know, anybody online, on Zoom, or in the room, not made a mistake in their life? <laughs> right? So we've done really, you know, some of us really stupid things and caused ourselves, caused others a lot of pain and harm, right? And so then those moments, those experiences can live on, and when they emerge, then we feel that regret, and we might want to blame ourselves or blame somebody else or defend ourselves or whatever. But actually, those places where there's regret or there's some pain, unresolved pain, there's something important there. It's almost like... A, a specific teacher for us. And we want, you know, as long as there's that regret, oh, you know, it's like we want it to live on as a temple in our heart that reminds us, honey, don't do that. <laughs> you know, or when you do that, it feels like this, right? And so that's like how the past can live on now that we turn it, instead of something like, uh, I'm bad, it's like, yeah, I made a mistake, but now I'm turning that mistake into some earthy wisdom. So this wholesome, I call this wholesome remorse, instead of guilt or re regret, it's like we're turning it into wholesome remorse because it's basically a demonstration to ourselves that my heart is learning what's helpful and what's not helpful. What is a skillful way to be, what's a not skillful way to be. And so all those mistakes we want, in a sense, to live on, but not as some toxic dumping zone, you know, where we beat ourselves up, but it's just a sensitivity, so that when I get close to acting in that same way again, it's like that old wound, which is now a temple, honey, you don't have to do it that way, right? It, it reactivates as that wholesome remorse that's basically this felt sense of, honey, be careful. Be careful here. You've caused yourself pain in the past,
but you don't have to do it again because I'm here to remind you, be careful. Are you sure? Is this what you want to do? Take in the big picture. Let the, let the past inform the present. Right? That's what wholesome remorse can be. But we have to convert a place where we tend to beat ourselves up or blame or whatever the pattern might be for each of us into this beautiful temple. And I really like that. It's because there is something in spiritual life that is about this alchemy where we turn these places that have been toxic, you know, where we get in these loops of really self-destructive behavior, and we do that alchemy where we turn it into a really powerful teacher that we live on with. In that way, it's not like we're going to ever not be the person who did that thing 20 years ago, you know? Even just saying this, and maybe it's happening to those of you listening, you know, three or four things are coming to mind. These places, you know, like, like, I don't drink alcohol anymore. Because I did stupid things when I drank alcohol back in my early 20s. And those painful places live on in me, like, honey, yeah, I'd like to get high having a few beers. I, I would find that very pleasant, or drinking wine, or, but I don't do that anymore. Because there's this thing like, I do stupid stuff. And I'm the kind, I've got the personality that, you know, a couple beers feels like this, well, probably a couple more will feel better. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not telling other people what to do, I'm just saying what works for me. And, uh, you know, and then other things come to mind too. And I'm so happy, you know, it would be, would have been nice not to have to have made those mistakes. But having made those mistakes, I'm glad that they live on. Because my sobriety has been supported by that wholesome remorse of those mistakes. Thank you, Chloe, for bringing that up. And we're almost out of time. Really nice to be with everybody tonight. Maybe we'll just end by bringing to mind the Buddhist words I mentioned at the end of our guided set. You probably noticed, some of you, because we do this chant formally at the center, it's called the suffusion with the divine abidings, these four beautiful qualities of love. And I did it more freestyle, repeating or paraphrasing the Buddhist words. And I recommend that you find your own version of this, of basically modeling how we talk to ourselves on how the Buddha recommended. And again, it's just um, using compassion, but you can do it with any of the four, that loving kindness, the basic goodness, compassion, appreciative joy or gladness, and equanimity. But I'll do it for compassion. And so we'd say something like, I will abide pervading all four quarters, what's in front of me, to the right, behind me, to the left, above and below, everywhere and every way, I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with this heart imbued with tenderness, with compassion. Abundant, exalted, boundless, immeasurable, 
free from all hostility, free from ill will, I will abide. Just noticing the effect of hearing those words. And thanks everyone for coming. Nice to be with everyone. And so just a reminder that Stacey McClendon and I take turns leading the first Friday of the month and Jean Haley and Jane Rarnhouse do the self-compassion the third Friday of the month. Also 7 take 30. For the self-compassion, it's just online, not in person and online. And then I'll be leading a day-long retreat at the end of the month on the 29th. Time to get out to the retreat center coming up. Patrice Kelsch, I think there are still maybe a few more spots, is doing her annual loving-kindness meditation retreat at our retreat center. That's right in the middle of August. I forget, forget the exact dates, but it's Thursday to Sunday right, like around the 15th of August. So you can check the calendar online for that. Lots of other programs, of course. Let us know if you have any questions about that. And most of you know that all the programs at the center are offered freely. We've been doing that now for 30 years. We don't talk about money much. But what we do ask is that everyone have a healthy, enlivening relationship with the community, with the teachings and teachers. Practice receiving whatever you get from your involvement at the center as a free gift. Let it be a cause for joy. All of your good wishes you send our way, your volunteering, your contributions, let that be a gift that makes you happy. And that's how the center works. It's that circle of receiving what we get from being together as a free gift, appreciating that giving back in a way that actually makes us happy. And uh, somehow the center gets along that way. And we pay our paid staff, and we have our building here and our retreat center in Wisconsin, no debt. And we pay our teachers so they can pay their bills. So find a way that that makes sense in your lives. And you can always reach out if you have questions about that. Kathleen is here, our longtime garden volunteer, So if you have any questions, want to get involved, we have a beautiful garden here in Minneapolis for those of you online. But uh, check it out on your way out tonight. And I forget what Sunday you meet, Kathleen. Is it the second Sunday of the month? It's the, yeah, it's this coming Sunday. Yeah, so you could come to the morning practice group if you want. Otherwise, just come at 12 noon. Great group of folks. Keep our garden looking really great. Take care, everyone. Thanks for coming. Good night, all those online. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org dot org slash donate.